Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, inactive. Inactive. Stamped right on your forehead. Yep. Today, we are talking about Minute 110, which begins with a howling toast and ends with Peggy looking at the inactive file on Steve, on uh, on Pete's forehead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what I would give for Peggy to look at my forehead for a second. <laughs> oh, back on the show, it's Heidi Bennett from Vibrant Visionaries. Hello, Heidi. Hello, hello. I, I realized in this minute that I am in love with Peggy Carter. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this? This is what it happened. <laughs> all right here, all right here. Uh, it's hard not to love Peggy, though, right? I mean, geez, seriously, that Haley Atwell. Uh, before her, though, let's talk about the Howling Commandos. This is uh, this is actually a picture wrap heavy minute. <laughs> We're bidding yeah. adieu to the Howling Commandos, to Howard Stark, to uh, Colonel Phillips, and to Peggy Carter. All well, not Peggy Carter; she'll be back. But the rest of them are all saying goodbye in this minute, and fittingly, with the Howling Commandos, it is a toast. Now, it's scripted that they're back in the whip and fiddle, which means that it has been rebuilt, which I, I don't know if I buy. Regardless, they are in a pub. They are toasting to Steve. Uh, thoughts on the Howling Commandos, Heidi? Do you like these characters? Oh, I love them. And they're such characters, right? Like, they look straight out of a comic book, you know, with the Dum Dum Dugan's uh, bowler hat or whatever. You know, they just they each have like a kind of a look and a personality. And and as mentioned previous, JJ Field, he's the one that's in the um, peripheral also. And uh, yeah, just uh, it's just fun. I think you know, and they they do reappear in the um, Agent Carter, Marvel's Agent Carter TV show to, you know, do a little cameos and stuff. And so I think it just, I love it when we have people that you can just catch back up with at later, later dates and feel like, oh yeah, I know these guys. They're familiar friends. I just don't know why it's Fallsworth who gives the toast. Something about it feels like Dum Dum should be the toaster. That's interesting because Marita technically is the last one Steve spoke to. Mm-hmm. The last time that Steve saw Fallsworth, Dum Dum, or Jones was when he ran out of of Schmidt's office lab, and Fallsworth throws him his shield, and he says, thanks, and that's the last time that he saw them. I guess, to that end, though, I guess I've never really felt like like there's a leader of this group. You know, they, they it, it's never seemed um, clear. And to that end, and this was a question I had, like, why is Fallsworth still in uniform and all the rest of them are just in their civvies? Is it is he kind of the leader of the group then? Like, I I don't really know. So I guess. Or is it that they're in they're in England and he is still in service and the rest of them are from other countries, not in service anymore? Oh, that's that's actually that's a good point. I kind of feel like you just made the case for Marita to give the toast to the captain and the other three to say, wait, Captain who now? (laughs) (laughs) I think it just could have been as easy as like staging, you know, um, the actors and the lighting and every, you know, just like set staging or whatever. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Fallsworth does seem very officious. Yeah. 
in the way that it's set up because he's in his uniform. He's closest to the camera. Dum Dum is kind of behind him and seems a little, I don't know. He plays it like a little confused. It's like, Oh, Oh, oh yeah. Where am I now? What's this? He's, what are we drinking? He's really, he's really living up to his name, his nickname. Dum Dum. Yeah. I'm sorry. I ordered a large. <laughs> I, I do like that uh, Gabe Jones looks the best of the group. Like he is in a fancy little suit. He's got the fedora and everything. Like he's oh, yeah. decked out, ready to go out uh, after this toast. He's going to the clubs to go dancing. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. There is some street jubilation to, to be had. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that's it for the Howling Commandos. Picture wrap on them. Um, you know, they were a fun group to have in the film. I I do enjoy them quite a bit. And it takes us to the ocean. We are now in what feels like suddenly uh, a moment in, from Titanic where we have. I know we find the jewel of the sea. <laughs> right. It's it's uh, Bill Paxton in his uh, yeah. controlling his little robotic sub as he's trying to grab onto the Tesseract. And it just keep looking. It feels so much like that, doesn't it? <laughs> It's so funny. But yes, this is the ocean. And then we do cut to the boat and we see Howard Stark up in the uh, the wheelhouse as he's uh, called by his engineer to come over. And uh, we see that, in fact, they have managed to grab the Tesseract. Again, This I, I never fully understand the way the Tesseract can handle certain things and not other things. Like when he was in his lab, he picked it up with a little robotic hand and it seemed okay. And then he touched it with a wire and it kind of blew everything Not up. Okay. And right. we just saw it like melt its way through a ship. And as you pointed out, Heidi, it's now in a very cold, cold ocean. So maybe it's cooled down a little bit. But and because now they're able to pick it up with a robotic hand. Tesseract rules. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is in the ocean and it's cold and everybody's fine. He's learned uh, some lessons since the lab, and now the robot hand is wire free, more more special. <laughs> <laughs> I did do some. I, I did question, as I tend to question Howard Stark and his technological genius, because I'm like underwater vehicles, these unmanned vehicles, these weren't invented yet, and sure enough, they weren't. But as seems to be the point in the film. Things that were invented in the 50s, because the very first unmanned underwater vehicle, a UUV, was uh, out, was uh, in 1957. They had the first one uh, used also conveniently to research the Arctic waters. So that's been the case with a lot of these things that Howard is using. They seem to say, OK, he's about 10 years ahead of time. And because all these things that he is using that I keep questioning, it's all stuff that came out in the 50s. Same thing here. Lest we forget the flying car from like two years ago in this podcast. Well, and that that also came out in the 50s. <laughs> right. <laughs> well played, my dude. <laughs> I was thinking, too, like we have the transition from the ship going down and then to VE Day. And then this could be. At first glance, because it looks sort of futuristic, oh, how much further ahead are we for, you know, a second or two? Right, right. Um, Maybe. And then, okay, there's Stark. But yeah, because it does kind of have that, like, it has that retro future robot sort of look to it, too, which is fun. Very much fitting, Stark. And Dominic Cooper 
is rocking the cable knit. Like he looks good on the deck of that ship. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, yeah, he looks so handsome. And I loved him in um, Preacher. Yeah. I didn't finish Preacher because at a certain point it just, I I lost the threads of it. But I, I, I loved that for so many um, seasons. And it's such a different role, but you know, he's he's a cutie in all of his roles. But, <laughs> but yeah. um, it's just it, a this is a fun <laughs> roguish character, you know. And um, yeah, and then I was because that, that was coming to mind, you know, him being on that. It reminded me that uh, Ruth Nega, who plays such a fantastic character in preacher is also in um you know she's been part of the marvel universe too because she was um in agents of shield as well Mm -hmm. so he looks awesome and it's just so um i love it when you're when i watch movies like this like you said these like period pieces and you're I always think of like, oh, how fun it would have been to be the, you know, the costumer on these, be the person either making or having made or finding, you know, for some, some shows they just source, you know? Yeah. But yeah, this fits him to a T. He does look good in it. uh, And, you know, it plays well. I enjoy him as Howard Stark. We've had some debates about favorite Howard Starks. Do you have a preference between him and um... John Slattery? I will. I love John Slattery, but I, I have a thing with him where it's hard for me to not think of him as being in Mad Men. Like when I see him, mm-hmm. it doesn't. The Mad Men doesn't leave him. Yeah. And so, what where is Dominic Cooper? I see him here. Yes, I remember that he was in Preacher, but it's a different character. Like to me, he is more Starky. I I see him more as Stark. Yeah, I think that's I think I, that's actually a really good point. It's not even Mad Men for me. When I see John Slattery in in as Howard Stark, I see John Slattery. Like it just feels like he's kind of Howard Stark, and uh, like in real life. And this feels like more of a performance for Dominic Cooper. It is. It's not his accent. It's not. I mean, it's just everything is is uh, sort of performative in in that character, and I admire that. Like I actually think he he made some more intentional choices about becoming Howard Stark, whereas. Flattery just had to show up and put on a tie. Yeah, I think there is something to that. Although maybe it's because I really enjoy the moment between Tony and his dad in Endgame um, when Slattery is uh, playing his dad that I, I just really enjoy that bonding moment between them. But I can definitely see your point. And I think and we've talked about this also, like they're bringing different energies like this. Howard Stark has that kind of young, inventive sort of uh kind of howard hughes sort of vibe that that seems really fun and and the slattery seems kind of older wiser maybe a little lazier uh you know a little richer and drunker drunker (laughs) and so it maybe that's part of it too like i enjoy the sense that it's it's kind of like that uh the true entrepreneur the true scientist really trying to figure things out and maybe that's why yeah i think that there is something with cooper that that does stand out more yeah in the script, I mentioned this yesterday, in the script, when they are 
pulling out the Tesseract out of the bottom of the ocean, and they're getting ready to head over to the next grid point, as Howard says, there is a cutaway, and it's it's underwater where we actually see Steve's shadow through the cockpit. You Like, you see the plane, the cockpit, he's slumped in his chair, and obviously they, they never find him. It's It's underwater, though. It's not, like, frozen in the ice. Do you think that something like that would have been helpful to show us Steve at some point, like unconscious in the plane, or do you like that we haven't seen him and we're not going to see him again in this era after that uh, that final moment when he's dive bombing the plane? Yeah, I, I like the way it is because I don't. I think even when I was watching these minutes last night with my husband, I was like, "So is he just like frozen for like this whole time?" Like it. it like, it just didn't, I mean, I knew that was the answer. It wasn't like I'd never thought that before when watching this movie, but I was like, so it's just because he has the serum and he's extra strong and it, he's like, yeah, he's like cryogenically frozen, basically. And I'm like, okay. So I think if we'd seen him in the water, like, I don't know. I just imagine his hair bobbing, life, you know, as his lifeless body. Is, <laughs> it might have been a little like more morbid or something. Some fish like nibbling, nibbling away at him. <laughs> well, and let's be. I mean, in terms of the tropes of the kind of film this movie is is attempting to be, if this wasn't about Captain America, the mystery would be: Did the pilot soldier survive? And we want you, the audience, to think: Oh, the mystery is he's dead. And so it, it, we all know that he's not dead because that's the whole thing of Captain America. So that's fine. But it fits the mold of the movie to leave that mystery for us a little bit, to leave the mystery that Cap survived and it's going to be um, now we're going into fish out of water territory. Or Cap out of water territory. Cap out of water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well played. There. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I don't think. In fact, I think it would have hurt if we had to see a cutaway of Steve. You know, floating in the in the ship, unconscious or something. It, it would have been a little weird, even even if it wasn't underwater. If it was in the Arctic, if we had cut to him, because then then it, I think it ends up forcing you to ask so many questions about what you were just talking about. Heidi is like, well, so does he freeze? Did, why would he freeze? Like it ends up kind of forcing you down all of these rabbit holes that just really the only solution is a no prize to say, yeah, he was frozen and he was thawed out in twenty twelve or twenty eleven. So you just don't worry about it. And so it makes sense to just not show him. And, you know, it plays. And that this gives us really, we don't have to worry about that then, because now we're just focused on Howard Stark. And this is like, that. what we're doing instead is focusing on Howard. This is the final moments we have with this character, as he is bound and determined to do what he can to find this missing soldier. And so it plays. It, it works well to kind of sell us as Howard, especially because he's had some moments in the film where he's kind of seemed like throwing digs at Steve and stuff like that. But this now seems like he really is, you know, I'm going to do what I can to find him. Well, that's a switch, you know, right? That's the switch. You don't know what you've got till it's gone, right? Like same thing with the colonel. Like everybody's looking for, for Cap because even though they hated him for what he was in some respect or another, now they realize, oh, we, he actually... Was amazing, and we did good work on that super soldier serum. And he was a good little guy, and we did all right. He's a good little guy and a good big guy. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Well, that's our picture wrap on Howard. And that takes us to the Allied headquarters. As they are packing up to go home, everybody is working to put things in boxes. And it's moving day. And uh, I don't think that made the front page of the Daily Mirror um, for something to celebrate. <laughs> but uh, this is the moment where we have Colonel Phillips walk up very stoically and give, uh, well, he doesn't give it to her, but he has a folder in his hand and he just kind of sets it on the the table in front of Peggy walks away. That is the picture wrap on Tommy Lee Jones in the script though. There is an optional line. They throw these optional lines in once in a while for him to say here to her, as she looks at the folder, it says inactive. What the, what he says is no one said we have to forget the man agent. Any thoughts on that? Do do you like the Tommy Lee Jones quiet stoicism that we have here? Or would you, do you think it would make sense for him to throw a line to her? That sounds more like, yeah, his face tell, tells us the story, so we don't need the words. It, it sounds like a comic book panel. Yeah. <laughs> well, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't like the line at all. I'm really glad that they chose to let Tommy Lee Jones do what he does best and stand stone-faced and look at someone else, because it carries a lot, carries a lot of weight. As you might be able to imagine, Andy, uh, I'm going to tell you that I have a significant problem with this this particular scene. Can you predict what I'm going to say? I have no idea what you're about to say. I'm really surprised. What I'm going to say is there are three people in this scene. There's Tommy Lee Jones. There's Haley Atwell. And there is third anonymous uh, soldier moving files around. Standing next to Agent Carter. Who should that be? Okay, to your point, you're, what you're thinking is, why is that not Private Lorraine? That's exactly what I'm saying, Andy. Where's Natalie Dormer when you need her? <laughs> she should be there, moving files around. Interesting. Interesting. I, I'm i surprised that... I miss Nat. I miss Nat. But would that make sense, though? She was kind of... Don't care. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, she was Colonel Phillips' assistant, so if anything, she could have been walking yeah. with him. Uh-huh. I think it would, would have been, been okay I that. think it would have it would have thrown me if she was now standing next to Agent Carter, especially because those two had such a, a fiery uh, final moment between them earlier in the film. But Andy, Andy, wait, wait, hear me out. This is a period of the film about reconciliation. We've put all of our old baggage aside and now we're all working together in a new way to find the captain. We all love the captain in our own unique way, especially, as we've learned, Natalie Dormer. So I'm assuming you've watched (laughs) She-Hulk Attorney at Law. (laughs) (laughs) Well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think the third character in this is, and I'm not trying to be crass, honestly, but is... Haley Atwell's clavicle bones. <laughs> They're lit very nicely. They, they are. Is that they are lit, person lit quite well. Dark, sort of I can't see. I can't see the third person in the frame because of Haley Atwell's clavicles. Clavicle gleam. Oh. Good call. Good call. I like that. Um, well, that brings us to the classified file. And uh, Heidi, you had mentioned some information that we see here. Next of kin, none. Uh, Steve's dad died during World War One. Well, depends on which 
version of the comics you're looking at, but he may have died in World War One or another one. I think he might have come home and then died, but it, or it was like an abusive father. His mother was a nurse, and um, yeah, she, I don't think she survived. But so yeah, no next of kin uh, for Steve, and uh, we don't get to see a lot of it because it's covered up by a photo. But um, I mean, this is her last little moment, and just like Steve had his compass. Now she has a physical object that she can look at to kind of reconnect with him one last time in the film. It's, I mean, it's a nice little moment here. I like that. I like that of all the characters, Colonel Phillips is the one who brings that over to her. She could have been going through files and discovered it, but no, Colonel Phillips actually gives it to her. He recognizes the connection they had and gives it to her. It's nice. Do you guys, do you two like how it plays? Yep. For sure. I, I think it's very sweet. I think it's sweet because, it's re- again, it's reconciliation. It would have been better with Nat, but it's not. And so we just have to deal with the fact that the colonel has come to terms with the fact that there was a relationship. He probably learned and internalized all this because of his creepiness in the past two minutes, uh, <laughs> because he watched them and the tears being shed and the grief of their minutes losing each other. Um, and And that's OK. That's OK. He's softened. He's a big old teddy bear. He is a big old teddy bear. Um, it, you know, it's it's a nice final moment that we have um, with uh, Colonel Phillips giving it to her and then with her as she's kind of looking at it. It's that final connection she has. And what is nice about it, um, you know, is that as she uh, as she's looking at it, we, we don't really get to see it, but there's a photo there. And, you know, I think there's a sense of kind of, you know, I mean, we know what's going to happen. And I just like that there's this connection that she has with him. And so I, I, I feel like this this moment plays well for her, for her final moment. Um, ostensibly, without knowing, I don't know, I, Haley Atwell isn't one of the actors who had like a nine-picture contract or anything like that. So I like thinking that she saw this as her final moment to have with Captain America in the movie. And I, I like that it plays that way. Yeah, me too. Me three. All right. Well, we like to ask our guests about favorite Captain America moments, Heidi. And I'm curious, of all the movies, of everything that you know about Steve Rogers and Captain America, do you have a favorite moment? I I feel like I don't really. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh, I do really like when he fights himself and then gets to see his own butt and admire it. I just, I will just say that (laughs) because I think it's really fun. And I think it's like, I was going to say cheeky, but that's just silly. (laughs) But, but I think it's, it's because as we, you know, as we go through the films, he does evolve into a more playful person. And I think, you know, Chris Evans is a playful person. So I think it just, it sort of matches, I think, with him and his personality. So I, I like that moment. Well, you, even in that moment you have where he, the 2012 Captain America tells the other one, I could do this all day. And he's like, yeah, I know. It's like, he's acknowledging (laughs) that sense of himself. Like, you you are, you are so much dude, (laughs) Like you know? So that's fun. That's a really fun minute or a fun moment for him. So yeah, I like it. Good pick. I don't think anyone's picked that one. Have they Pete? I don't think so. No, (laughs) they should have. Every one of them should be filled with regret now. (laughs) 
Uh, well, Heidi, uh, it has been such a thrill to have you back on the show uh, talking with us about CAP this time. Um, remind everybody one last time where they can tune in to what you're up to out there. Yeah, for my podcast and for my YouTube channel, you can check out vibrantvisionaries.com. And the general vibe is just quirky, creative conversations between filmmakers, musicians, artists, all sorts of people. Um, And I'm really into uh, food and hospitality and just having a good time. So if you just want to hang out with people who are quirky, creative, and having fun, check out VibrantVisionaries.com. Fantastic. Well, it has been fun. Thank you so much again. And we will be back next week uh, to uh, finish the actual movie part of the movie it is uh, coming close everybody we're in uh, minute 110 so we've only got uh, 15 minutes after this a lot of which are credits so we are gosh we're really close to the end of this whole thing so uh, with that Pete thanks as always can't wait we're wrapping up Captain America America's podcast (laughs) (laughs) until next time true believers Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. <laughs>